0: People come to me in therapy and go, oh, you know, can you sort me out? I've have I had this problem for 30 years, but I want you to fix it in 12 weeks.
1: Welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where I interview leaders not defined by position or title. Everyday people who lead their lives in extraordinary ways. And on this podcast, they share their stories, their life lessons and practical tools in the hope that it will inspire everyday people like you and me, to realise we are everyday leaders. Today I have the pleasure of having a conversation with Miss um, Marteka Swabi, who I've had the pleasure of getting to know the last, what, 12 to 18 months? And just um by LinkedIn and shared a stage and a couple of different things, and Clubhouse had some great conversations, and... Mateka, for those who don't know, is a founder of Benevolent Health. She is an OG in the mental health space. That's what I'm going to call her because she's been <laughs> doing this for about 15 years in NHS, private, corporate, third sector. I'm like, you worked in like prisons.
0: I've when done I looked at prisons. Here,
1: I was like, wow, like, that's a very, very, very role. How are you doing, Mateka?
0: I am really well. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm excited to share the platform with you, talking about all things mental health.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, I am, I am, I am looking forward to this. And in fact, I I want to start with with sleep, mm. sleep and mental health, <laughs> because it was was well, Sleep Awareness Day. Um, Two days ago a couple of days ago wasn't it it was recently yeah think, yeah. yeah so and um and I saw, I saw the post that you put up and recently i've been doing our research into sleep because a friend of mine asked me you know how do you be what do you feel about how many hours of sleep a day do you have he's yeah. like do you have eight hours a day and i was like i don't do eight hours a day and even when i looked into the research around it that was just based on a doctor from like 1980s and 90s so i tend to have personally five or six hours a day and we kind of had this long conversation around the impact of sleep and how he was, that's not good enough. It affects your mental health, all that kind of stuff. So what's your, since you're the expert in this game, can you talk about sleep and the, the impact it has on mental health as well as what is the ideal time you should be sleeping
0: well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on sleep, though. I will say that, even mm-hmm. though I I do have expertise on in in mental health. Um, but the uh, the idea that you know that there's this kind of set time that you know we all need to sleep. Um, I, I guess it's a bit like diets, and you know, like uh, how you respond, how your body responds to diets. Like some of us do really well with like no carbs some do you know better with having you know more protein or you know vegan diet whatever it is and I think there's not a one size fits all and and that's the same for mental health I think that it's an individual thing and I think that you know some app some people can survive on five six hours sleep they function and they're fine and so you know there's no point going oh I need to have seven I mean the average amount of adult sleep Um, is around the sort of seven to eight hour mark. Um, But actually some people function on less and they're fine with that. So Mm. I really think it's, you know, the thing with sleep is if you feel well rested and you're, you know, productive during your day and you don't have trouble falling asleep, you're not continuously waking up, then you've probably got a good sleep pattern. I think it's for people that constantly have interrupted sleep, you know, perhaps struggle with insomnia or quite anxious, and you know maybe have other um, things going on underneath that needs to be looked at or dealt with. So, I would say that five six hours for you is probably quite healthy. If you you know you feel good when you wake up, you feel rested, and you can you can get on with your day.
1: Yeah, I feel I feel great because I usually just get up and go for my exercise, so I'm definitely in a good space. And in our uh culture and I would say culture that is still around this hustle mentality how does a lack of sleep then impact your your mental health whether that's six hours eight hours or whatever doesn't really make a difference but how does that actually impact your mental health when you don't actually rest your your mind and your body properly
0: yeah I mean I mean when we're always switched on I think the challenge is you know when we're always switched on and we're anxious um you know we've got more cortisol flowing around our body, which is you know the stress hormone so if you think of fight and and flight you know the 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 need to kind of get stuff done and constantly be on and you know in that sort of hustle drive um you know it's good it's good for us to feel a little bit of stress and that kind of pressure to get stuff done. I think that's healthy, but when that's consistent and that's how you live like every single day you get out of balance and you know what starts to happen is that you have this cortisol that's in your body all the time and you know the adrenaline's flowing you kind of feel that fight flight phase all the time and you can't switch off and so you know when it comes to resting or sleeping or winding down you just can't do it because you you, you know you've flooded your body with all these sort of adrenaline um hormones so I think it's good in short bursts to get us to take action. Um, But, you know, if you live like that continuously, it's probably going to lead to some kind of fatigue or burnout um, and, and feeling quite tired. And I think that, you know, in the pandemic, one of the things that I hear a lot, particularly in the corporate space with increased workloads, increased pressure is actually people are starting to feel this sort of, fatigue and you know it's called lockdown fatigue Um but actually you know people are, are switched on too much I think the blur between work and home you know where we've brought our work into our home lives and there's not that clear separation anymore and also you know we're not using our annual leave like we're spending so much time much more time working you know we don't have the commutes anymore instead of using that time perhaps to do something you know like exercise or something kind of to take care of our our well-being our mental health you know we're we're switching on early doing emails and 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 then you know we can't go on holiday at the moment so we're all stuck at home going sick of going for walks (laughs) what can i do now so you know it's it's all of this stuff that we you know probably that's built into our usual day-to-day that we take for granted you know the idea of commuting to and from work and you listen to a podcast or you read a book or you know you i don't know you just switch off you sit in a you know your own thoughts for an hour or whatever you know that time helps us to unpack and unwind and you know when you take that away and you're just jumping from one task to another it can leave us feeling very very tired and fatigued
1: yeah and as, as you were talking I'm thinking so we've, we've stripped away our I guess our daily routine in a sense and our routine has changed and not necessarily for the belt for the better I think it's definitely got Worse, which we've seen with a lot of reports come out with people feeling the way that you've described and the mental health um, going through the roof and getting worse and worse and worse during the pandemic period. But Mm. then in a world where we are going to be effectively operating in a hybrid environment where it's going to be a combination of home and work, how do people... Let's start with the people first. How do people create new habits and new routines that ensure that they look after their mental health and we can go into the corporate side next
0: yeah so I think for individuals I think there's probably three key things that I would think about and the first thing is like you know in terms of productivity how you chunk up your day and I think that you know we're in such a kind of distraction age aren't we where we've got phone notifications going off all the time we're on our emails like you know we've got amazon deliveries that you know kids all these things kind of distracting our 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 attention and i think it's really important to i i hate um lists of things to do i hate having a things to do list i prefer to have like three priorities that i need to focus on that day and they're the things that i get done and those things are scheduled into you know my diary and how i work and i have productive work time so that means switching off my notifications switching off my emails and just having that 45 minutes to an hour to focus on um you know each task so and that's chunked into my day and then what I feel at the end of that is that I've accomplished something and I don't have this massive to-do list that then I haven't achieved most of it and it rolls on to the next day so I think like t- chunking up your time and having micro tasks really helps to structure our time the second thing I would think about is just your daily y- your daily habits and you know what you do every day to kind of keep well and when I say wellness and and when I talk about mental fitness I mean you know good sleep relationships financial well-being eating healthy exercising and taking care of our mental health that way. And, and that's really important to fit some of those things into every day. Um, so, for example, one of my kind of must-dos for my well-being is I need to, like, walk or be outside some of the day. This also really helps sleep, um, you know, having sunlight and, and being outside in the fresh air. So, you know, even if I just walk 10 minutes to the shop and back, that I've been outside and walked somewhere every day. Now, everyone will have a different kind of way of doing this, and there may be more than one or two things that you do. But I think it's really important to incorporate some kind of mental fitness routine into your daily habits. Um, And then the final thing that I would say is just around the, the heart and mind piece. And that's really what I touched on when I was talking earlier about, you know, that commute to work and that commute home where you listen to a podcast or read a book or just sit with your thoughts. I think we need to intentionally create a space for ourselves in terms of connecting with or some kind of check in or check out of the day and you know people like mindfulness meditation it might be you know prayer it could be that you go and do some exercise that's how people kind of you know get into their their mind and body but however you want to do it the point is that you you kind of you, you figure out how you can get that into your into your day so um they would be my three kind of recommendations for individuals
1: I really, really like those tips. That's why I like to get practical with people so they can actually take that wisdom and apply it to their lives and make a difference. And then in terms of the the corporate space, mental health has been, for me, it's, it's been a, I say it's a buzzword that's been around the last about a couple of years now. It's yeah. gone from radio silence to talking a lot about mental health, mental health, mental health. Yet, Year in, year out, you still see the economic cost of mental health going up and up and up and up. I think last time I checked, it was like 100 billion or something like that when you take into account loss of work, absenteeism, all that kind of stuff. So even though there's a lot of talk around it, in terms of practical steps that organisations can, can take to create and to actually to prioritise the mental health of their employees, what would that actually look like?
0: I mean there's there's many ways to do this and I, again one size doesn't fit all um but I, I think at the moment we're on this really exciting opportunity as we start to build out what a hybrid workplace looks like um you know I think that there's an opportunity to really incorporate Um, well-being into this and I think also you know with that we were speaking about this a little bit earlier in terms of diversity and inclusion and creating more equitable workplaces that actually you know mental health and well-being is going to be for me part of this uh, you know equitable space and and actually that feeling of belonging creating culture and where people feel belong belongs where people feel heard and seen and validated is really important and i think you know the the mental health narrative will be key to creating some of that so um i see mental health a bit like kind of you know it skills that you know you can't work these days if you don't know how to use a computer if you can't use microsoft and i think that for leaders for managers for colleagues going forward you're going to have to have a basic understanding, awareness of how to manage, you know, mental health and people's mental health issues. I think that um, for me, um, the three sort of areas that I've seen um, have the biggest impact around mental health and well-being has been on people's experience of working remotely. So there's been a lot more talk around um, social connection um, and that feeling of isolation when you you know you're working predominantly remotely um on your own uh, in, in and it can feel quite siloed um i I think there is also a narrative around leadership capacity um and particularly around you know a more compassionate uh, and empathetic leadership and how we build into capacity how we build into um, leadership capacity to be able to have mental health conversations and feel comfortable um, having those conversations and then uh, I think that the, the final bit for me is how we're shifting in terms of productivity and I think that you know the the challenge of you know all these new ways of working is it can be quite tiring kind of you know when you've got a routine that now you have to figure out a new routine and i think what we've seen is definitely an increase in workload um for, for many people particularly you know people that have competing agendas at home so you know parents that have had to homeschool and do a full-time job has been extremely challenging Um, during lockdown and so I think kind of managing workload and thinking about mental health beyond stress anxiety depression and much more into kind of flourishing and thriving and how we can create environments that are you know help people to be more productive is going to be a really key conversation you know as we build out happier and healthier hybrid workplaces yeah
1: I just you talked around around the the link between um creating inclusive, diverse, equitable workforces and mental health. Prior to last year and, and Black Lives Matter, and when you compare that to now, have you seen an increase or a change in the demand from people from ethnic backgrounds relating to their mental health and more inquiries as or has that been just the same, or has it been? What have you seen happen?
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, so I still work in private practice uh, with patients who have, you know, mental health uh, issues, and I, I definitely seen my workload shift. Um, definitely had way more inquiries. Um, majority of my client base are uh, black, Asian, from an ethnic minority. And so I, I think that, you know, the, the demand has definitely increased. I think as we go forward, coming out of COVID, once we've kind of, you know, managed all the crisis stuff that's come out of this and having to force our way into changing, um, I you know, that certainly from, you know, statistics that, you know, we're saying the next three to four years, we're going to see the impact on mental health. So we know that there's going to be an increased demand um and i i think we're seeing an increased demand across the board not just from um you know black brain communities however you want to to look at that um but i think that the the challenge um will be how we how we meet that demand and, and what that looks like because that the challenge that we've got as a nation and and other nations will have this as well is that we don't have enough qualified clinicians to to support this and to manage this um and so we need to think about how we work differently and you know there's been mental health first aiders and you know peer support networks but i think you know in terms of cultural nuance and if we're particularly speaking to a black audience i think we need to think about you know providing support providing services providing uh training that is actually uh culturally nuanced and increases our cultural com- competence because you know we're not the same and we do need to have i feel a, a different approach to uh to to support and i think one of the biggest uh the one of the biggest reasons people come to see me and i ask them like okay what made you you know pick my profile and often it's because you're because you're a black therapist there isn't many black therapists and you know there's something about in organizations but also when we pick coaches when we pick therapists when we want to work with others that we want to work with people that look like us and i think that's not um you know it's it's not considered particularly um in the corporate space certainly uh, i i feel disappointed often um that the, the narrative um around mental health can be um very very eurocentric and very focused on a specific um way of doing things that doesn't Im- you know that's not useful actually for all cultures and and representation's important to be able to see people that look like you is important for inclusivity to you know for that sense of belonging um and so, you know, I for, for for myself for for the what I'm doing with Benevolent Health for me it's always about you know opening up that narrative and you know providing a different narrative, a more diverse narrative, um to contextualise um issues that um perhaps are not represented very well if you you know you don't have that cultural competence or understanding and that doesn't mean that you have to be black necessarily to to work with black people I don't think that um but it's just about understanding that you know people have a different frame of reference they have a different way of relating they have a different culture and it's just about being aware of that and understanding that
1: yeah that's that's exactly why I asked you that, that question, actually, because when you think about um, um, black people, for example, from a cultural perspective, mental health is still a stigma subject. Yeah. And then you now go that into work where it's like, okay, I've already got demands on my head of I need to, the old nation of working twice as hard, I can't be seen as weak, I need to do this, 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 this. If I mention my mental health, that yeah. sets me back and I get looked at completely differently. And what I've seen in a lot of conversations I've had over the last um, six, six or nine months since all that happened last year has been actually a lot of people be like, no, actually, I need help with my mental health and my work offers services. Therefore, I want to tap into that. But they've also mentioned to me exactly what you just said right now is what they have found is when they've gone to look for people who can understand where they're coming from and the cultural references, they can't find a lot of them. So, they'll go to like one session and be like, that's was a waste of time because what this person was telling me didn't really hit home. It didn't, we couldn't connect. And you need to be able to connect with the person you're going to be talking to or walking with. So, which okay. is why it's more important we need more people and more people who can understand. Is the understanding that's the key, which a lot of it comes from your lived experience or being able to be like, okay, that person's okay. I do, we can break down some barriers straight away and talk to that person because that person looks similar to me. So, how. Do we begin to change things, especially in, in your field, and make people get more comfortable, more open, to mm-hmm. be able to meet and talk to people who need who need that help, or are scared to reach yeah. out?
0: I mean that's a, that's a big question, isn't it? Um, in terms of of because uh, I, I think that's multifaceted, in the sense of representation. I mean, certainly when I trained as a therapist, uh, I mean I trained at Birkbeck, so it's a Central London University. You know, it's like in the middle of London. So, um, you know there there wasn't many. There was probably like maybe three or four of us in the in the class um and interestingly there was more women than men that particularly uh, sorry more men than women training that particular year which was unusual so i think there's something about the um the, the number of of trained qualified practitioners um that that can make a difference and obviously that's a kind of a bit more of a longer journey mm-hmm. um in terms of representation, because I think that representation breaks down barriers um, in terms of uh, a sense of belonging and you know being able to see people that look like you. Um, and then I think that the the other angle that you touched on was just around the stigma in around mental health, but particularly in in the black community. Um, and I think that you know what we know about the workplace is that actually. something like 11% of people will talk to their manager um, about their mental health issues. And we know that, you know, EAPs, um, employee assistance programs and occupational health type support that you access through HR are very uh, underutilized in, in organizations. So we know that people feel um i guess it's a barrier to to ask for help when you have to go through these processes right on the flip side of that when you look at kind of public sector services and mental health and the statistics you know very few for example black men go to their gp and ask for you know a, a psychological therapy like i apps for cbt but we have an overrepresentation of black men in um in acute wards, uh, you know, for uh, mental health and in prisons and in, um, you know, what I would call the kind of blue light uh, services and the way in there is much easier. So, you know, there's some systemic issues within that 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 need to be addressed. But there's something about, you know, that early help or that early support you know, why isn't it, why isn't it accessible? And I think if we go, oh, and because they don't want to use the service or, you know, it's like, because they don't access it, that's not really an answer. It's thinking about, okay, well, well, what does that look like when, you know, if I was to go and ask for help, would I see uh, a, a black professional, or with the um, literature, even have any people that represent me or speak to me in a way that I can relate to. So it's thinking about how we can, you know, approach uh, well-being and mental health in um, certain cultures, in certain societies, and uh, particularly in the black um, culture, and and make it more accessible. That it's not um you know it's not this kind of uh maybe, I, I don't know what the right word is, the the kind of the stigmatized approach that we think around mental illness, you know, like schizophrenia, bipolar, all these sort of serious mental illness conditions. And actually that we all have mental health, you know, stress, anxiety, depression affects everyone, you know, regardless of of, of race. So it's how do we have those earlier conversations and how do we have them in a way that connects to specific groups of of, of people? Um, and and in this conversation we're speaking about um, you know, black people.
1: Did you say eleven percent of people talk to their managers?
0: Of their mental health, they will say they've got a back pain or that they um you know, that they that they the other the other one, um, muscul- musculoskeletal problems is is the first uh, reason for for being absent, <laughs> but people don't say they're off work for stress. <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> that's that's um. I think
1: when you when you said that number, I man, I was like eleven percent. That's a really ridiculous low number, and that goes yeah. to show that people can't don't feel that they can have those kind of conversations with leaders, and yeah. then leads to my next question to you is how do you... What can leaders do to be able to breach and increase that number from 11% so people do feel safe, even if it's just to have an initial conversation, rather than get into the extremes where you then see people like, burn out and different things happen and then it goes from yeah. mental health to mental illness because they've been, had a chance yeah. to to speak up and do something about it?
0: I mean, leaders need to get more comfortable with with how... You know having open conversations about mental health and i I think that until we all speak about this and make it part of our everyday conversations uh you know it's always gonna be a bit of a taboo um and and I think as well from a leadership perspective it's about being transparent and and open i mean certainly some a lot of the conversations I'm having. Um, in organizations and in the, the workshops and training that I do is actually that leadership capacity, you know that ability to be vulnerable, um, you know to increase your self awareness, to um, lead compassionately and, and, empath- and, and more empathetic and be more empathetic. And I think that's you know some leaders already have that kind of level of emotional intelligence and that's how they are. They do that naturally. That's just who they are. And I think other leaders need support to kind of open that up and be able to do that. So, you know, how do you talk to your teams about mental health, well-being? How is it on the agenda? Um, You know, are you just saving these conversations for kind of, you know, when there's a Mental Health Awareness Week or, you know, Black History Month? Do you start having these conversations or is it, you know, is it part of, is it embedded in your culture? Is it embedded in what you do? You know, how do you check in with your team? You know, what do you do if you notice people are becoming unwell or, you know, something's wrong? So I think I think it's uh, it's about how you do it every day. Just like what I was talking about earlier with the individuals and daily habits, you know, it's these daily habits that we that we form that keep us well. And it's the same with having these conversations. It needs to be like a dripping tap. It needs to be, you know, little and often consistent. It can't be, you know, something that you do once a year and, and that's it. That has no impact.
1: Would you say it's, is it down to, in fact, let me rephrase my question. What are the signs that people can look for? That leaders can look for, that individual friends can look for when with their with their friends or their colleagues or whatever when things don't seem to be just right. Because I've also had instances when I worked in organisations where that person just they'll say, "Oh, what happened to that person? Oh, he just he just went off the rails, or he just he just dropped, and now he's out." It's like, it didn't happen overnight. There were signs that were there, but you just weren't looking for them. So how is yeah. it? How can leaders look for them, especially in a, in a hybrid world when you're not? You're not next to the yeah. person every single time, or you might just be in and out with that person.
0: Yeah. I mean, proximity makes a difference. And I think that's one of the challenges many leaders, managers have um, flagged in COVID, you know, working remotely, that it's been much more difficult to kind of get a gauge of that. Um, and, and I guess it comes down to how well you know your team to be able to have those robust conversations. But, you know, people are starting new roles uh, remotely now. And, you know, this is gonna perhaps continue as a bit of a norm. So it it goes back to my point about how is this built into your culture and how do you have regular check-ins around, you know, people's mental health, people's wellbeing, you know, daily habits, self-care routines, sharing what you're doing? How do you just make this part of every day? Um, And and don't get me wrong, I think sometimes, you know, people are unwell, and they are suffering with burnout, or stress, anxiety, depression, and they do need help. Um, as in, you know, uh, professional treatment support, not just a uh, a line management uh, engagement. So I, I think that it's about you know how do i keep i think that the emphasis has to be on how do i keep my team well how do i keep them healthy and not how do i support them when i they get really ill and um, i think that's the, the the kind of the wrong way of thinking uh about it and we have to, t- to kind of switch that narrative and um, the other thing i would say um on that is just around our um our sense of self and our own self-awareness and i think you know, our ability to be emotionally vulnerable and share what we're struggling with in our own lives and our own faults, our own flaws, particularly as leaders, really opens up the door for people to say, I'm struggling with that too, or this is what's going on for me. And you can have much more real and open conversations when people see that you're just as fallible as they are, and that you're human. Um, so you know, how do you keep the conversations human um is is really key. Um and in terms of like actual spotting early warning signs, I mean, you know, there are obvi- obvious symptoms of stress anxiety, depression, and and often they overlap. Um, you know, is in, you know, people becoming um you know more perhaps a little bit more volatile or more emotional um you know or you know they're off sick because they're having frequent headaches or other um health issues um and and these are all things to look out for right but it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody has a mental health issue it doesn't mean that at all and but i I think that actually one that's really easy to look out for and people often overlook is presenteeism and and you know people spending more time at work uh more time on their email working out of hours working weekends and that's a much easier thing to be able to spot and have a conversation about and manage boundaries around, than it is when people become unwell and they're not coming in.
1: It's very, very, very helpful. And how would you define what leadership means to you?
0: (laughs) What leadership means to me? I mean, my experience as a leader and also being led, because I think there's something about good leaders are also good servants um and you know the the leaders that I've kind of learned the most from and resonated with the most have been the ones that um I mean I remember having this um she was my last boss actually um I mean I've been um in in this business for 4 years now but the last boss I had um she, she I remember her being very um interested in in kind of my style of working and actually you know she took the time to kind of get to know how I like to be communicated with um you know what my style of working with was and how you know she could support that but also she told me about her expectations so I I felt really clear um and and she was super approachable like if I was struggling with something you know she Um, always had time to talk to me about that so for me it's you know leadership styles are interesting because I think that you know you can have a certain style and a way of being but actually if that doesn't get the best out of someone then what's the point of it so I think good leaders are a bit like chameleons they can adapt to their environments and they can adapt to the people that they're working with. And I always, you know, as a leader myself, I always like to understand, you know, how can I get the best out of you? Like, what do you need from me to help you be the best version of you? And also understanding people's proclivities in terms of what their strengths are and what they're good at and trying to give them more of that and less of the things that, you know, they're not so good at. And that's not always possible, you know, when you work in an organisation and you've got a role. Um, But I think if you want to get the most out of your people, then you have to really understand them as individuals and what, you know, makes them tick, if you like.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. It so it's a very interesting question when I ask people that I just start thinking like. Hey. I'm not quite sure if i got a definition and then he's like I've got one and, and here's what it kind of looks like and I completely agree with that it's it's not one size fits all it's about kind of having that situational leadership style where depending on who you're working with and who you're around you kind of adapt yourself and your mm-hmm. skill sets to that person so you can get the best out of them rather than just mm-hmm. saying here's who I am and you kind of have to adhere to that which we know mm-hmm. doesn't really get you anywhere doesn't doesn't really really work
0: and, I mean uh, sometimes you know. that that's not possible as well, like I think you know people often forget when they work in an organization of- obviously the organization has a um has a purpose it has you know you've got a, a a role to play if you like, and so sometimes things aren't possible that you might want to do or that you feel is acceptable and I don't think there's anything wrong with just being clear with people around you know the expectations and you know the boundaries of that. I, I think that's really helpful as well on the flip side to know kind of, you know, what is expected and and you know what your purpose is because otherwise you can feel like you're drifting or that it's a bit boundaryless. And so I think it's also helpful to, you know to as a as a leader to be clear about, you know, what's not possible and what you can't do. Um, Because I think that helps people to feel safe and contained, actually. Yeah, definitely. the,
1: The more open and honest you can be around what you want and what you expect, but also being open to listen to the other person, it helps that relationship grow. It's like getting to know someone, isn't it? The more you get to know someone, the more you understand how they work and their routines are. And therefore, you don't end up clashing, but you actually work really, really well together because you've taken that time to understand each other. So it's like a two-way relationship rather than a one-way relationship.
0: Well, I mean, what you get at that that crossroads or that level of vulnerability, if you like, is the acceptance and the ability to challenge. And, you know, that's what important I think about particularly you know with diverse workplaces and diverse narratives is that it challenges the status quo doesn't it it challenges the way you do things it challenges the way you think because we all have our biases we all have our ways of doing things that we think are right and you know we all have our annoying habits that you know are unique to us that um you know that we that we come with we're human right And so, um, and I think that's okay. I don't think, you know, we have to be these perfect beings. It's just like, it's okay to get it wrong. But I I, I think there's something about, you know, that tolerance for each other. And, you know, what you talked about is kind of figuring out, you know, how to navigate around that. And also to be able to challenge and make jokes about you know, people's uh, little quirks and nuances that they have. And, you know, and it makes you think, doesn't it? Like, you know, when people kind of rib me about my, you know, that I'm anal about some things, I, I actually go, yeah, that's true. And, and And it makes me think. So I actually think all of that is part of having a healthy culture and having good mental health because you're able to be yourself um, and feel accepted and you know feel that people around you accept you for who you are
1: Have you always been of any of a vulnerable and self-aware person is that something that are key things that you've had to do personally to help you to develop that level that you currently have right now
0: I mean I, I struggle massively with vulnerability <laughs> hugely I mean i I, I um I, I really, you know, it's really been a journey for me. I, I mean, I've had, like, years of my own therapy um, to understand myself. I think that's one of the things that's given me the biggest area of self-awareness um, is is my own personal therapy. I think, you know, whenever you get into close relationship with anyone, um, you know, if you're married or living with someone or... or you know, you have children, I think that's another layer of kind of challenge to how you like to do things (laughs) and having to compromise um, on, you know, your own own ways of being, right? And I think in the workplace, you know, if you think of it like an extended family, you know, you've got all these personalities and all these different ways of kind of being and, you know, everyone's got... uh, their own stuff that they carry. So obviously you come into work, you know, and you've got a role and, you know, you've got a task to do, and you've got these boundaries that kind of set that out, but also, you know, you are human. And so you you come with a load of faults and defects and, and also having to work out those of other people. So I think it's always a learning experience. But I, I, what I have learned over the years is to be curious. So, you know, when things bother me or I don't like something or I have a resistance to something, I'm always curious about why. And the first place I look is in my own self and not in that other person or that thing that's happening that's bothering me because I think it's really easy to deflect and think that oh the problems out there it's not to do with me and actually often the things that really bother us or the things that we're uncomfortable with come from something inside of us and if we can understand what that is I think that helps us to then navigate and decide whether it's something that we need to confront and Deal with 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 the other person, or it's something that actually we can live with, or maybe have to resolve inside ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. That introspection of is this about me? Is this about someone else? Is very very important, but also very hard mm-hmm. <laughs> to to kind of do and 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 do to sit with yourself and examine. Certain statements and experiences, and um, get that clarification between: Do I really need to change and fix it by myself, or was that person completely wrong? Mm. And that's not um, that's a skill that you need to to learn and you need to develop. But I think before you get to that level, you need to be willing to do it. Now, mm. that willingness is it doesn't come naturally to to a lot of people. Mm. And um, based on obviously your work. How can someone Hmm. to gain to that next level that you've just described of vulnerability and um, transparency and understanding?
0: Hmm. I mean, you know, I'd love to give you a do this, this and this. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, this is one of those answers where you just have to figure it out. And the reality is that you need to, like, you know, in life, I think that you 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 don't always have clarity on why you're doing stuff or, you know, where you're at or what to do next. And it's that capacity to tolerate uncertainty. And I think that's one of the challenges that the pandemic's thrown up for a lot of people that have been very comfortable, had everything mapped out and kind of known what they're doing for the next three, six, nine, twelve 12 months. And, you know, the pandemic's just put a stop to that for all of us. Like we've just had to kind of, you know, manage day to day. And I'm not saying that that's a good place to be long term either, to, to, to be living day to day like that. Um, but I, I I think that there's something about being able to manage uncertainty and be okay with not knowing and being honest about that. You know, if you can be honest that actually you don't have the answer and you're feeling a bit stuck and lost, and you know you don't know what the right thing to say is. I really think, like you know, this whole kind of narrative that's going on in organisations at the moment around, you know, Black Lives Matter and you know, creating more equitable um, workplaces. If people could sit together and say, "I'm I'm lost in this," you know, like I don't even know what the right things are to say or what to do in, in this, and and have conversations like that. I think that they, that, that, you know, something really constructive can come from that because, you know, people can sit in a place together and be lost and try and figure it out and talk about being lost. And I think that's, that's part of the process of um, working yourself out, working other people out that you, you know, you are going to have to, I guess, trial and error and get it a bit wrong. And that will be uncomfortable. Um and 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 really there's there's no way to navigate that. I mean, people come to me in therapy and go, Oh, you know, can you sort me out? I've have I had this problem for 30 years, but I want you to fix it in 12 weeks. And it's like mm. <laughs> I'm, I'm good at this. <laughs> but... <laughs> and if I was, I'd be a billionaire. <laughs> but you know, you, you have to be prepared to put in the work, and and that's what people don't want to do. You know, we want the we want to go into McDonald's and get the, you know, the drive-through and pay at one window and get the food at the other window, and it's, it's not how it works. It's a, it's a, it's a process that takes time, and you've got to figure it out. And there's going to be some bumps in the road, but you, you know, you'll survive. So don't be afraid. Just uh, roll your sleeves up and um, <laughs> get uncomfortable.
1: <laughs> it's okay to be uncomfortable. That's how you grow. That's how Well, you I mean, a lot of
0: people, a lot of people don't like being uncomfortable, and I think that's the challenge. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. What does yeah, success mean? I mean, mean? I mean when, when when we talk about white fragility, that's really what we're talking about, isn't it? Around race is is being uncomfortable. Um, you know, it, having that dialogue and being uncomfortable and not running away from it, not feeling that stress and running away from it, and and I think that you know that fragility in all of us is there, isn't it? To want to run away from something that's painful, that makes us feel ashamed or that, you know, is a little bit uncomfortable to navigate because we might say the wrong things. I think that's really common in mental health. People don't have those conversations because they don't want to say the wrong things. And it's not because they're a bad person or, you know, they are avoiding it. It's just that they're they're a bit lost and stuck. And so... You know how 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 can I help? That is always my conversation because we miss an opportunity by not having the dialogue. That's my point. Yeah, definitely. And, and we agree. Miss an opportunity to learn about ourselves, but also to learn about other people, and 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 at the end, that's that's a good thing. Yeah,
1: and it's it's always interesting how the things that are good for us that will help us to either bridge a gap. Or to learn certain things about ourselves, we that but ultimately require us to be uncomfortable, we kind of take a step back from. And mm-hmm. it's so easy to be like, yeah, I know I need to do that, but I really don't want to because it's too it's too hard, it's too uncomfortable. But like you said, once you get in it, once mm. you start to realize the the benefits, because you start to unravel so much. And then once you get come out on the other side of things you feel so much better like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't I go through this earlier? But it's that initial mm-hmm. fear and uncomfortableness, especially when it comes to conversations around race where I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want to be yeah. counselled. All those kind of things come up and you have the freedom, he like said, white facility to be able to be like, because I don't want to engage, I can just take a mm-hmm. step back. But if you really wanted to build relationship and build bridges and start to understand people and create environments where like we took leaded before, where relationships can go from that eleven percent, where people can talk to their managers, you need to lead into the uncomfortableness, so you can actually get to understand what people are going through, and start to build that trust with each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I've, I've got to jump off in five minutes, as I've got another thing. But um, I, I think I will. Um, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll end on on this, just around um, around our. Our ability to kind of be a bit lost and 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 be a bit stuck, and you know that's the the thing is if you don't do it, you or or you avoid it and you miss out on that opportunity of of learning about self or other, is that you find yourself in the sim- same situation again and again and again. So you find that it actually doesn't really go away. Um, so you're actually not really solving anything. You know, it, it it may seem easier to ignore it, um, but really it's just festering somewhere. So it's a bit of an illusion to think that by ignoring it, it's you know it doesn't have a life and it's not gonna uh, affect us. So I I think that's a bit of a fantasy. Um, and often you know certainly with the patients I see um in, in therapy, you know, often the things that they're struggling with the most have been issues that they've just put aside for years and years and years and years and years and, years and not wanted to deal with. So I think for organizations that, you know, believe that kind of doing, you know, a, a one-off workshop in Black History Month or, you know, a, a one-off workshop on Mental Health Awareness Day is gonna, you know, change kind of mental health or um you know equality diversity inclusion in an organization it's a fantasy like you know that that this has to be properly embedded in a structured way um and and really personalized and tailored to you know the culture of the organizations and the individuals that are there if we really want to have change and impact so you know my question always is that You know, are we just kind of ticking the boxes and, you know, be seen to do the right thing, have all these amazing charters with sort of no actions behind them? Uh, Or are we actually really changing people's lives? Because I think coming out of COVID, building hybrid workplaces, we've got a real opportunity to change and impact people's lives. And I think organisations that are taking this really seriously and leaders that really want to do something, I believe in 10 years time, maybe even sooner, these are going to be the thriving and flourishing organizations, right? That the the organizations that people really want to work for, that are queuing up to work for. And uh, and and the ones that don't do anything about this are just, you know, it's going to impact their bottom line. So I I really don't feel it's a choice in terms of, you know, I don't think we've got the comfort anymore to ignore these festering problems that we do have to, you know, get uncomfortable. And you know, feel a bit of pain and 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 work through it, so um my challenge <laughs> to anyone listening <laughs> is you know don't don't avoid the the tough stuff it's it's uh it just keeps you stuck and and I'm not just speaking to you as a as a leader or you know as a as a corporate but as an individual, if you've got stuff in your life that keeps coming up again and again and again, you know, don't let that keep you stuck anymore. It's time to, you know, to to look at it and and deal with it and and move forward because you, you'll win in the end from that, I believe. So yeah.
1: I'm going to drop my, I'm I'm going (laughs) to drop my, my imaginary mic there and just, just let it all go because that's a (laughs) brilliant way to absolutely finish on this because I can't, I can't, I can't add to that. So thank you very very much for coming on and having this conversation it's been it's been an absolute absolute pleasure where can um people find out more about you by your organization about what you do
0: Yep. Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn, Martika Swaby. You can follow me there. Um, My organisation is Benevolent Health, www.benevolenthealth.co.uk. And um, we provide workplace wellbeing and um, particularly sitting at the uh, cusp of all uh, the intersectionality of wellbeing um, and race, really interested in that part of mental health um, to help create uh, a, place of belonging for all your employees and i think with mental health it's really important to have diverse narratives because definitely one size does not fit all um for for well-being
1: yeah all Matika's information will be on in the show notes and definitely check her out especially content on linkedin so 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 much fire so much information so valuable as well and it's for free so make sure you definitely do that thank you everyday leadership Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Leadership. You can check out the show notes on www.mindsetshift.co.uk forward podcast, where you can find out more about my guests and how you can contact them. You can listen to old episodes or if you have a question about this episode or any other episodes, you can just press a button and ask me that question and I'll answer it on the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, share this podcast with someone else. We'll see you next time on Everyday Leadership.